Welcome to Hope Sabbath School, an in-depth, interactive study of the Word of God. I'm excited today because we're beginning a brand new series. It's a life-changing series on life, death, resurrection, and eternal life. You see, Derek, that could be the most important series we ever study because our eternal future depends upon it. So I'm glad you're here for our Hope Sabbath School study today. Welcome to Hope Sabbath School. Welcome to the team. Good to see you all. Got some new faces, glad you're here. We've got uh, an amazing series that we're going to study and I'm praying the Holy Spirit will bless in a wonderful way. We're also happy to have some remote team members with us today. Pastor Sabina, good to see you from British Columbia. Addison, good to see you again from grad school there in Texas. And Shana, good to see you from Maine. We're glad you're part of our Hope Sabbath School team today. And we're glad you're here, too, wherever you're joining us from. And we know of 200 countries around the world that are using our Hope Channel app. And you're watching Hope Sabbath School, and we're glad you're part of our family. We're always happy to hear from you. By the way, before I read some emails, we have a very special gift for you for this series on life, death, resurrection, and eternal life. It's a, it's a little digital copy of a book called The Story of Jesus. It's something you'll want to download and read and share with your friends. It focuses particularly, yes, on his life of Jesus, but his sufferings, death, resurrection, and the promise of eternal life to each one of us. Just go to our website, hopetv.org slash hopess. Click on the free gift button in the middle of the screen, and you can download a copy of that beautiful book, The Story of Jesus. Well, here's some notes. Here's one from Diana in Wyoming. In Pavilion, Wyoming, Diana says, Hope Sabbath School is truly a blessing in these last days. God bless your ministry. You are family to us. My mother, Glennis, recently celebrated her 100th birthday. Oh. Oh. <laughs> she watches Hope Sabbath School for many years, and she sends her wishes, best wishes to the whole crew. We want to support your ministry because even on the worst of days, Jesus shines through. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? We just have to turn on the TV and there you are, all smiles <laughs> and a little piece of heaven. Well, Diana, thanks for writing to us from Wyoming in the United States here. And happy birthday, belated birthday to mom, Glennis. We're glad you're watching too. Thanks for being part of our family. All the way from Vanuatu. Where's Vanuatu? Jason, you know where that is, right? South Pacific. In the South Pacific, Cece writes, and she says, it's one thing to read the Bible, it's another thing to understand what it's telling me mm. and how to make a connection with my life today. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's where Hope Sabbath School comes in. <laughs> I can see the practical aspects of the Bible study and apply it in my daily life through Christ and by God's Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, Cece, thanks for writing to us from Vanuatu. We're just so glad you're part of our Hope Sabbath School family. Here's a little handwritten note from a donor couple in Michigan in the United States. They say, we really enjoy Hope Sabbath School. You teach, oh, Hope Sabbath School that you teach. We've been watching for about three years. God bless you. And a donation of $500 to bless the ministry of Hope Sabbath School. Thank you. And you know, we're at that time of the year when we're thinking about our uh, charitable giving. I just want to thank each one of you for being part of this ministry. We're a donor-supported ministry. You can go to hopetv.org slash donate 
or you can go to our website. There's a little yellow button there. And we all say thank you because we're glad we can be part of a miracle together. Thanks for helping support this ministry. One last note from Godfrey in Uganda. He says, I'm 43 years old and I love Hope TV. <laughs> I used to not go to Sabbath school, um, the lesson part, because I was not good with lesson discussions. But your work has, is changing my world and personal perspectives people have. We're blessed now. I share with many people what I know and I also tell them about Hope Sabbath School. Amen. Thank you. May God bless you. Well, Godfrey, we're glad you're part of our Hope Sabbath School family too. And uh, yeah, we learn how to study the Bible and then we share that with other people. And that's a beautiful witness. Right now, I want to invite you to sing our theme song. It's a brand new theme song from Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 and verse 8. And it says, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. It's a beautiful promise as we study about life death, resurrection, and eternal life. Let's sing it together. Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty, the Almighty.
What a beautiful promise. I, I, I just want to hear the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And here he says, uh, I have the keys of the grave and of death. Let's pray as we study today about, mm, we're talking about life, death, resurrection, and eternal life. Our topic today is rebellion in a perfect universe. How did the trouble around us start? Let's pray. Father in heaven, may the Holy Spirit guide as we study today. We know from the scriptures that you created a perfect world, but there is still hope even in the troubled world in which we live today. We want to learn from your word about life and yes, death, but resurrection and eternal life. So guide us in our study, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to begin our study in 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to ask Elsa if you begin by reading verse 6 and verse, excuse me, verse 8 and verse 16. A revelation from John about the character of our Creator. I'm reading from the New International, King, the New International Version. Um, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And verse 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And, and by the way, this is the same John who records the word of Jesus in his gospel in John 3.16, which says God so love. Right. So if you could summarize the character of God in one word, well... We love pizza and we love sunny days, but this is the agape love, the self-sacrificing love. That's a description of the character of God. Let's go back to creation and see how that character of God is revealed in the creation of the human family. Brittany, if you could read Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, and then uh, Jason, if you could read Genesis 2, verse 7 and 18 through 22. And then we'll discuss, how do you see the character of God, a, a God of love revealed in, in the creation of the human family? I'll be reading from the New King James Version, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, and reading on, Jason, in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 7 and 18 through 22. All right, the New King James Version says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and 18 through 22, here in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then verse 18, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air 
and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So here's a brief description, by the way, I always wondered growing up why God took a rib, because he didn't need it, right? He could form just like he formed Adam. But, but in this whole record of creation, how do you see the character of, of God, the love of God, Nisha, revealed? Yeah, so in the first few verses that Brittany read for us, the first thing that we are told is that we were created in God's own image. Mm. And that, to me, is a display of love because God could have created us in any way. He created the animals that didn't look like Him. But when He created, I think, His most prized possession, He made that resemble Him. Okay. Uh, are you talking about physically or, or, or emotionally or it spiritually? Could be physically, or? Um, but I think also definitely in terms of the character of the uh, beings that He created. Capacity to love, exactly. right? Which is one of our uh, key attributes. Addison. Yes, this is amazing passage. I love this passage, um, particularly referring to 2 verse 7 and then verses 18 through 22. We see this intimacy of how God created the human family, formed man from the dust of the earth. Then he does the first operation, takes a rib from the side of, of the man. Uh, but really, it shows that God demonstrates his love through relationships. Our God is not distant. He's not a distant God. He's a relationship God. He wants a close relationship with us. Beautiful. We could read in the Psalms where it says he spoke and it stood fast. But there's something very personal happening here. Shana. I think of the fact that God didn't just leave Adam and Eve as dust or as clay figures that were walking around. Um, but he gave them purpose, so he gave them things to do. And he also, as you said earlier, gave them that emotional factor that he has as God. And so we understand, we empathize, we feel just like God does. Beautiful. Yes, uh, Brittany and then Elsa. I love how God gave us the ability to create. Um, mm. Not only did he create us, but he gave us the ability to create as well. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Um, the animals also had that ability, but just that's beautiful. God didn't have to do that. Um, that's something that he shared with us that shows his love and his care. And, and in the human family, that um, multiplication is an act of love. It's not just instinct, right? right, right. Uh, so there's something very sacred about that privilege he gave to the human family. Elsa? I just wanted to say that I think that the manifestation of God's love was really culminated in the creation of mankind and Adam and Eve because he kind of like stamped us with this imprint, uh, like with his, in his likeness, in his imago dei, if you would. Um, and he, he gave us this value, this worth that we carry around with us. And I think that it's a tremendous idea that he gave us this resp responsibility to replenish the earth um, because that also you know, that helps us know how we treat others around us. And it also resembles us, how we treat others around us. Sure. Tragically, we'll see that there is a rebellion that seeks to erase that image of God in us. 
but um, it's an act of love. God creates us the way that he does. Well, let's look at one. Hmm, I was going to say one restriction. Yeah, there, I guess it is a restriction, but let's see how that is also, John, an act of love. In Genesis chapter 2, if you could read verses 15 through 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 from the English Standard Version says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So in this restriction, uh, by the way, <laughs> he says, actually, you can eat of everything. I like what Travis said. God gave you lots of good choices. But one area he said, I don't want you to go there. How was that also an act of love, Jason? Well, God could have kept them from even having the opportunity. The fact that God says that means he's giving Adam and Eve this opportunity to make that choice. And that ability to make the choice, even a wrong choice, is an act of love. All right. Anyone want to add to that? Yes, Jason. Yeah, I see that love is, is a risk, you know, in doing that, you know. And sadly, God puts boundaries around because he knows such things could be taken part of, though. But it's all in love. If you read the rest of the story, it appears that that restriction is an act of love because that is the territory that the tempter is allowed to go. He's not allowed free roam, right? That's why in love, the Creator says, I don't want you to go near that tree because we know what will happen in Genesis 3. Brittany? Yeah, I was just going to say that true love um, gives freedom. And God gave freedom. Um, he gave us a free will to make choices. Um, if he hadn't, if he said, you're going, you're created to love me, there's no other option, that would be force. Mm. And, and we would just be like robots. We wouldn't have this opportunity to give and receive love the way that God created us to. This is obviously an important topic because four <laughs> hands are raised, but I'm going to go to Sabina first. Pastor Derek, I think that, in fact, freedom should be and probably is the greatest gift that God has given us. So, therefore, the greatest manifestation of His love, not only because it allows us to be in a real relationship with Him, but also because it allows us to be in relationship with other people, truly. Right? Mm -hmm. Imagine if we were all robots and uh, we couldn't enjoy uh, friends and family. And if there is something that is precious, at least to me, as I consider the gifts God gave me, most of them, they have to do with those relationships that I am able to, to have in love because I enjoy freedom, because I'm not forced, because I'm not just a robot. So it's really precious what we received from, from freedom. And it also it speaks to us of how important it is that we make good choices. Mm. Well, God is relationship, right? Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intimate personal relationship for eternity. And, and part of the sharing of that love is, is how he created us. Armando. On top of what Sabina said and what you said, um, true love can't be just one way. It has to be reciprocal. And God loved us first, but we have to love him back. And we can't love him back if we don't have that choice. Mm -hmm. By giving us that choice, he gave us the opportunity to love him back. Mm -hmm. He wants our love. He doesn't want us to be robots. He, 
He wants us to love Him. And, and yet, as Jason said, that's a risk, isn't it? Even in a human relationship, to love is a risk because the person might not love you back or they might hurt you or disappoint you. Uh, Addison, I want to take your comment and then we'll move on. Well, we're talking about the importance of freedom and, and, of course, how that is a reflection of the character of God. And I'm so super passionate about this subject, um, especially over the last several years and whatnot. Uh, we see that history repeats itself and we see that force and coercion in any form is not from God. It, it is the spirit of Satan. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's completely contrary to the loving, the immeasurable and unfailing love of God. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to do a quick scan of the life and ministry of Jesus, okay? <laughs> so you've read the stories, perhaps you've read the Gospels. Give me some little snapshots. They've got to be short because we've got a lot to cover in our study. Where you see the character of love of God revealed in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, yes, John when he restored Peter after he denied Christ. That was loving, wasn't it? After he cursed and said, I don't even know him, Jesus calls him back and says, I still want to ask you to feed my sheep, right? Feed my lambs. Jason? When he cast out demons from people that Mm. were possessed by the enemy. Mm. When he heard their silent cry, like, and yet the voice of demons came out, right? Anybody else? Yes, Nisha. When at the cross, um, he looked at his mother and uh, had someone uh, make sure that he, she was going to be taken care of. Mm. Behold your son, behold, behold your mother. Yeah, that interchange at the cross. I thought you were going to say, Father, forgive them. That's an act of love too, isn't it? They know not what they do. Shana? Yes, another example is how he demonstrated ultimate love to the woman who was caught in adultery, who, Mm. based on the law of the time, she should have been killed. But Mm. his whole response to her was the complete opposite. He didn't condemn her. Mm -hmm. Right. He didn't minimize the problem which she found herself, did he? But he showed her immeasurable love. Sabina. Also, when he restores and gives dignity and voice to many women, which in that time was they usually were had no voice in their society. So it's just so beautiful how Jesus he would treat women with equality. They would treat them with dignity. Would place them in places that other people would usually not put them. So just I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Did you notice we didn't have trouble finding the love of God <laughs> revealed in the person of Jesus? In fact, Jesus said, "If you've seen me." You've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's love is like? You want to know what His character is like? Look at me. Now, even today, and this is the last thought before we move on, you say, Derek, it sounds wonderful, but what about the problems we're facing today? Mm. Even today, we can see the Creator's love, right? Mm. Where do we see the Creator's love, John? I think family unit is an expression of love. God designed it. To, uh, to represent what kind of love God has towards us. So the relationships that we share, family and, and loved ones, friends, Addison? I would say compassion. Uh, compassion is really a, uh, a huge uh, emblem of Christ's uh, character and his love for us. So it's amazing when people display that in such an authentic and a sincere way. Uh, so I want to go back to something else I said right at the beginning, and that is even a person who may not believe in God. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, well, I don't think there's, I'm an agnostic, I'm not sure, or I'm an atheist, I say there isn't a God. When they reveal compassion, mm-hmm. that is a revelation of the Creator's character. Yeah. They just don't know it yet, right? Right, right? Well, we have to move on to our next section. I told you this is going to be an amazing series. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask a question. Was there creation 
before Genesis 1. Well, let's look at one text. Harold, if you could read for us uh, from Colossians in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Now you say, Derek, let's not speculate. No, let's just hear what the Scriptures say and ask, are we the only created beings in the universe? Uh, Harold, how does that read in Colossians 1, 16 and 17? Yes, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And it says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Now, we could go back to John 1, which also speaks about the Word creating all things. That's the same Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the eternal Son of God, who became Jesus in our midst. But who are these it said they created Harold on earth and in heaven. So we know we're not the only created beings. Yeah. What created beings are there in heaven from reading of your, of your Bible? Uh, John? Angels. In the book Angels. of Hebrews, we see that. Okay, and there's also these uh, uh, 24 elders, and there's discussion as to whether those are redeemed from the earth. Then they would be part of the human family or or other heavenly beings. We don't know, but but there are angels for sure, right? And uh, these angels, well, they seem to be fairly organized. But I, I want to go to an ancient book. Some believe the earliest book written, the book of Job. And Armando, if you could find the book of Job right before the Psalms, Job chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, it's a, it speaks about a heavenly council. And, uh, boy, we're just getting an inspired uh, glimpse. Uh, Job didn't know about this council that was going on. He will experience the attacks of an evil force. But how do you read there in Job 1, verse 6? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. Well, we're going to hold the whole conversation about where, why he's on the earth. Uh, in our next section, we'll talk about rebellion and claiming planet earth. But he comes as one of the sons of God, right? That's what he calls. He's a representative of a planet. So <laughs> help me out, Sabina. Who are these other beings that are referred to as sons of God? Well, we can definitely refer to them as being the angels, right? If those are the other beings that we know were created in the universe apart from human beings. Okay, so Sabina is going to say that these are other angels. Um, is that possible? Yeah. yeah. Sure. That's one explanation. But there's something unique about this uh, council. It seems to be representatives from other created worlds. What do you think, Jason? So also looking at that verse there in Colossians, talking about principalities and powers, this sounds kind of like political organization. It sounds like more than just one location of heaven. So it seems like these are representatives almost of these other worlds, other places in the universe uh, that, unlike our planet, haven't fallen, but somehow they're represented and they're coming there in heaven for like some kind of council. 
I suppose it's possible, back to what Sabina said, that, uh, that specific angels were given responsibility mm-hmm. for planets. We don't know, do we? Well, that's a question I'll ask when we get there. I say, who were these in that council? Brittany? I was just going to say, it's interesting the Bible calls them sons of God. I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it uses that for angels. Maybe it does, and I just ah. haven't read that. But it seems like maybe they are some other kind of created beings that, that God has made. Adam is called the son of God, right, in the genealogy. So that's very interesting. Well, I want to come back to what Armando was reading about in Job 1.6, about this uh, being called Satanas, mm. right, the, the, uh, the opposer. Uh, also called Diabolos or the accuser, but he had another name too. uh, And we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 28. And Jason, if you'd read verse 13 for us, because as we um, confirm from Harold's reading, there are created beings in the heavenly realm as well as on earth. What do you read there in Ezekiel 28, 13? Right. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13 in the Bible says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your temporals and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. On the day you were created. Keyword. Mm. Well, how, what's your reaction as you read the description of this heavenly being? Mm-hmm. Yes, Elsa. I thought of splendor and magnificence, <laughs> yeah. like the highest yeah. honor that could ever be bestowed upon. Splendor, mm-hmm. magnificence. A beautiful musician. It talks about the timbrels and the pipes were prepared for him, so he had a purpose. Beautiful musician. Um, let's read on, uh, Jason, in the same passage, if you would, verse 14. Verse 14. You are the anointed cherubim who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. So we're going to have to go back, Jason, to Exodus, if you would, because people are like, what does that mean, a covering cherub? Apparently there are there's organization cherubim and seraphim and it's it's yeah, it's archangels. It's it's not just chaos, right? (laughs) Archangel, right? Um, but this covering cherub, I think we may find a clue, Jason, as we go back to the earthly sanctuary, which was a pattern after the heavenly sanctuary. And if you could read for us uh, a description of a piece of furniture, you say, Derek, how's that going to help us to understand the role of this angel that will actually lead a rebellion? Well, let's see. All right. I uh, have uh, the New King James here. I believe this is Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. And it says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side, and you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, and the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark 
They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. There was actually a visible manifestation, wasn't there, Herald, of yeah. God's presence? What did we call that? Shekinah the Shekinah glory. glory. When the glory of the Lord filled the temple, it, it, the Shekinah glory rested above the mercy seat. I'm so thankful for God's mercy, aren't you? Yeah. But in that chest was also Ten Commandments, yeah. right? And I think Aaron's rod that budded and some manna. And, yeah. uh, but what about these angels? What? What does this description of an ancient piece of furniture tell us about the covering chair of Brittany? Well, it sounds like there's two angels, one on each side of God's throne. And we read that Lucifer was one of those angels. So he was the angel closest to God mm -hmm. in his and, presence. And who was the other one? You say, we don't know, <laughs> right? We don't know who the other one was. Uh, though I'm going to ask Gabriel when I get there, <laughs> yes. because he'll know the answer. Um, yes. Or he may just say that was my great honor. <laughs> so here we are. We've got this magnificent being right. created, though, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Not the creator, mm -hmm. created. Um, and let's see what happens to him. And uh, so Shana, if you could read for us back in Ezekiel chapter 28, if you could read for us, Shana, verses 15 and 17, and then uh, we'll, we'll go to Isaiah. I'm so thankful. You know, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yeah. And, and many of these things were given by vision and dreams, by divine revelation. We wouldn't know otherwise, would we? But let's see what's revealed to the prophet Ezekiel, Shana, in verse 28, verse 15 and 17. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. What do you learn there? Splendor blinded him. <laughs> he allowed his splendor to blind him. He allowed his splendor to blind him. So that means that he also had free choice. Yep. Yeah, he did. Um, not exactly like human beings because there's no record that they can create. Mm -hmm. That was a gift given to the human family, right? Uh, Brittany? We just see the self-exaltation 
Mm. Rather than focusing on God, keeping his eyes on him, he's looking at self mm. and, and thinking that as we continue reading that he can be like God and, and have the powers that, that God has. You know, I, this is a mystery. Shane, I see your hand and John too. It's a mystery to me. This is a perfect world. Yeah. Right, perfect right. creation. This is actually heaven, right. and you got this magnificent being who has the. Would you not say the highest position among the angels? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except, yeah, you know, means right by the throne of God, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 yet he chooses to rebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's called the mystery of iniquity. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hand raised. I think it was Shana, right? Yes, I'm seeing that the devil or Satan or Lucifer at that time, um, he caused his pride, his pride got to his head or his position got to his head where he felt, you know, I would do a better job and, you know, I could own this position. And so he he wanted to assert himself and, and take over God's position and you know, the Bible also says that pride comes before a fall, and that's essentially what happened to him. His mm. pride led to his fall. Mm. Well, we're, we're going to continue our study here. I'm thankful, John, if you could read to us from Isaiah the prophet, um, who actually lived about 150 years before Ezekiel. So this revelation was actually given at an earlier date in the 8th century B.C. Let's see what the prophet... Isaiah was shown about this covering cherub, uh, once called Lucifer, in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, from the English Standard Version, says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Mm. Uh, oh, morning star. That's, uh, that's uh, another description of this light bearer, right? Mm-hmm. Lucifer. Um, what did you notice as you heard that? Uh, John, you were reading it. What, maybe some of us have heard it before, but someone's maybe hearing it for the first time. What profound revelation is given to the prophet Isaiah about this uh, angel who goes into rebellion? Uh, you know, God is love, and he, when he created, he gave his created beings the ability to love, which is other-centered. But we see here that Satan, instead of being other-centered, he's being self-centered, the violation of the principle of love itself. Jason? And he wants to lift himself up so much, he literally wants to be even above God or like God. He wants to be in a position that he was never intended to be in. So to use the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant, he wants to... Usurp. Yeah. Usurp, yeah. Take the place mm-hmm. of God. How, that's, that's warped thinking though, isn't it? Because he's not a creator. Right. He's a created being, Nisha. And that's, uh, uh, sorry, Pastor Eric, that you actually said exactly what was in my head. At some point, something in his head, the fact that he thought 
he could actually take God's place who created him makes no sense. Hmm. And so, but when you're so self-involved that you cannot see um, God and your creator, uh, you forget your place on earth and mm -hmm. you forget um, uh, what your role is. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden your self-importance grows to where you think that you are capable of mm -hmm. doing everything that the person who actually made you and made you that capable um, you actually forget that uh, it was never you that actually made you capable. Mm -hmm. And somehow um, it just, that thought of you just overwhelms until you think that uh, you can be the person who made you. Mm -hmm. I use the word warped thinking. Um, I guess uh, selfishness, pride, it, it, it messes up your thinking mm -hmm. that you, you do things that you would never do if you were thinking rationally, right? Mm -hmm. Scripture tells us again, Revelation, uh, Sabina, take your comment and then ask you to read for us, if you would, from Revelation 12. But let's take your comment first. I also find that those two passages that we read in Ezekiel and also in, in Isaiah, and that's going along with what Nisha just said, are a very great alert for us to be good stewards of the blessings and the gifts that God entrusts us. Now, because He is a blesser, and the Bible says that Jesus wants to give us life and life, you know, more and more abundantly. So we are going to receive gifts and blessings from God. And the question is, what is it that we are going to do with those blessings? Are we going to respond like Mary did, that as soon as she was blessed and being able to participate in a miracle in conceiving and birthing Jesus, are we going to return that exaltation and worship to God? Or we are going to use those gifts that God is giving us to seek our own benefit. And as Nisha was saying, be just self-promoting. Sure. I want you to go to Revelation 12 for us, uh, Sabina, if you would, because Scripture tells us that Lucifer, then called the devil and Satan, uh, doesn't keep that rebellious thought to himself. Uh, Sabina, if you could read for us from Revelation 12 and read verses 7 through 9. Okay, I'll be reading from the New King James Version in Revelation 12, 7 to 9 says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, why isn't he still called Lucifer? Anybody? Why isn't he still called Lucifer, Brittany? Well, Lucifer means light bearer. He's no longer bearing the light of God. Mm. Yeah. He's bearing darkness. And, and then the last words that Sabina read were crucial. What did it say? Cast his out. angels were cast out with him. Did Satan no longer the light bearer Lucifer, did he create angels? No. no. No, he's a created being and he can't create. So where did he find angels to join the rebellion with him? In heaven. How did he do that, John? Through deception. He misrepresented the character of God and he won them over onto his side. How do we know that? Is there anywhere in the Bible that speaks about uh, Satan as a, as a deceiver? Mm -hmm. Well, it, I think um, John 8, chapter 8, verse 44, that he says he's a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said that, yeah, Jesus right? Said that, and yeah. of course, we'll, we'll study in this series about Genesis 3, where, where he, 
uses deception in the garden, right? Yeah. So how many angels did he take with him? Do, do we have an exact number, Addison? Do we, do we know how many angels uh, uh, Lucifer, he, boy, all of that magnificence, Elsa, that you talked about, he uses now for evil. Yes. And, and, and deception, which is so subtle. Uh, Addison, uh, how many angels does he take with him? Do we know? Yeah, I believe it was a third of the angels. I believe it's Revelation 12, verse 4. Uh, the, the, the symbol is a star. A star is a symbol for an angel. And uh, a third, that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of angels. That's 33% close. Yep, the tail of the dragon sweeps a third of the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how many is that? I don't know. It talks about angels 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So, yeah, without having an exact number, you divide that by three, and, and you get a massive confederation mm-hmm. in rebellion against God. Um, Wow. Uh, let's talk, uh, let's read a description of that. Nisha, if you could read from Ephesians 6, verse 12. We're going to come back to this passage as we come to the last part of our study. Because you say, Derek, I think we need protection. Amen. God is a God of love, but, but this, um, this rebellion has broken out and there's a massive confederation of evil. How is that described by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, verse 12? I'm reading from the New King James Version. Ephesians 6:12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Does that sound organized? Mm. Yes. It does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds all of the brilliance, the magnificence of this once covering cherub mm-hmm. is now a confederation of evil and, and a multitude of, of uh, what we now call demons, mm-hmm. right? Once called holy angels who said, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Here's this confederation of evil. And uh, before we talk about how we want to land by saying, Derek, how can I be protected from this confederation? Let's talk about Satan. Back to Armando. Satan's walking on the earth because we'll learn that he claims the earth as his dominion mm-hmm. after his deception of our first parents. How do we see his character? God wants the character of love revealed, but how do we see the character of Satan revealed in the history of planet Earth? Give me some uh, illustrations. We're not going to read all the passages, but there's a lot of stories. You're not going to have to look far, unfortunately, right? Let's start, John, with you. Right in the beginning of when the Earth was created, he tempted and he deceived Adam and Eve. And we know the rest of the story of what happened. Uh, as a result of obeying his words. Mm. So you would say uh, that very act was a reflection of his character, but then it starts being revealed in other people's characters, right? Uh, Elsa? I was going to say we can also look to, to the Bible um, because, you know, we, the Bible is part of history and there are lots of biblical characters uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah, Judas Iscariot. Just take one. Okay. Sodom and Gomorrah, which is such a wicked, wicked uh, twin cities, mm-hmm that God is not even able to find righteous. Ten, people. ten righteous people. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and you don't have to read far in the book of Genesis, the description of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that even Lot's family is terribly mm-hmm. damaged. Mm-hmm. Right? Brittany, 
I was just thinking about Job because in the story of Job, it's like we see behind the curtain who's causing these things to happen to mankind. And we see, first of all, Satan takes away all of his, his belongings, his wealth. Then Satan takes away his children. Uh, then Satan takes away his own health. So we see Satan's behind all of these things, destruction, pain, suffering, and death. And actually, because of the inspired account of the book of Job, we understand what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, poor Job, he just said, I'm holding on to God. I don't really know what's happening here, but I do know that my Redeemer lives. Right. Yeah, praise God for that. So there's a lot, lot of illustrations. Uh, Harold? I was, was going to add Cain and Abel, just like yeah, right. the first murder right, right yeah. there. Kill your sibling. You know, I just heard of someone who killed his father, and I'm like, wow, that sounds so terrible. But this is close to the garden. This is close to perfection. Uh, read it in, in Genesis 4. Jason? I think of a little later, uh, it says around the time of Noah, the thoughts of man were only evil continually. So mm -hmm. Satan got it to the point where people were only thinking evil thoughts, with the exception of a few small band. So we could probably take a lot of time going through history, but let me ask you in your own life, and we've got our remote team members here too, uh, can you think of a time in your life when um, there was a manifestation of the character and rebellious spirit of Satan? Harold? Well, um, I, I did it myself, and I've shared this testimony, but I tried to be in a relationship with a person who was not compatible, and I tried to, I knew the truth, and I tried to twist the scriptures to justify my actions. Now, so are that, you saying the person wasn't a believer? No, I was not a believer. I mean, okay. was not in the faith. And like, and it actually took me out of the faith for a, a time as well. Wow. So, but I knew better, and I knew it, but I still decided, no, nope, I'm going to go with this rebellious um, action of mine. So, so Satan's deceptions don't always come looking really black and sinister, <laughs> right? As long as, the, as he can divert us from the will of God. Someone else at the time. Yes, Elsa. I actually have an experience uh, from when I was at the French school a few years ago. And we were at the lunch table with my group of friends. And um, somehow we, we always had these sort of arguments, like debates, because we had friends that were on the debate team of the school. And somehow the argument that day uh, brought was got down to religion. And I was, I was the only Christian there. And um, I, when I told them about my beliefs in Adam and Eve, um, you know, Jesus dying on the cross, they started laughing and joking around like, oh my gosh, you still believe in those, you know, fairy tales and those bedtime stories. And so that got me thinking and questioning. Um, but really it was, it, we were middle schoolers, we were like sixth, seventh grade, but even then, Satan's rebellious spirit was being able to sure. be manifested. Mm -hmm. Now, those friends of yours were not Satan, right? Mm -hmm. But but remember, remember what Jesus said one time when when Satan was trying to use someone to turn Jesus away from his mission, what did Jesus say? Get behind Get me, behind Satan. Get behind me, Satan, right? So Satan may use nice people, even friends. Yeah. Could he even use family members mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. to try to turn us away, right, uh, from what God's plan is? Well, we want to talk about protection, Harold. Yep. Can you take us to Ephesians 6 yep. again? Uh, we, we read about... Um, the principalities and powers. Mm -hmm. So that was verse 12. Would you start by reading verses 10 and 11 for us All right. in Ephesians chapter 6? And, 11. and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, uh, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then verse 12, we'll talk about the confederation of evil that we read about. But let's go on now to verses 13 through 18, if you would, Ephesians 6, 13 to 18. All right, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. When Harold was reading about the fiery darts and the shield of faith, I was thinking also of your friends <laughs> laughing. You know, they were sixth, seventh grade, right? But, and, and they really weren't their fiery darts. But the enemy was trying to um, destroy your faith yeah. in the Word of God. This, what, what do you learn from hearing that passage about the protection in this great battle? Anybody? What, what's important, John? I think God has given us everything that we need yeah. to protect ourselves and win this battle against Satan. Mm. And, yes, we, He's given us everything we need. And there were a couple of key verbs in that passage that you read. Yes, Brittany? We need to put it on. Yes. And it talks yeah. about through prayer. <laughs> yeah. Put it on, take it up, which comes back to what we said at the very beginning, and that is that a God of love gives us... Freedom. Everything. Freedom, freedom. to... Choose. To choose, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and he says, yeah, the battle's real. By the way, that's why I limited that area of the garden. It was out of love. The battle's real, but you can choose to put on to take up this protection in this great battle. And, and we got one last text we have to go to. Sabina, if you could read for us, please, from Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11, because uh, we're going to be studying about life, death, resurrection, and eternal life. But I just want to give you... Um, kind of a hopeful end of the story in this great battle, and that is that we can experience victory over the rebellious forces by trusting in Christ. Yes, thank you, Sabina. Amen. So I'll be reading from Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11, and that's what the Word of God says. Then I heard a loud voice saying, Heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So let's unpack that overcoming him, that is Satan. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, and we would say his confederation of evil, right? By the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? Can someone help me with that? What does it mean to overcome by the blood of the Lamb? Nisha. Uh, when Christ died on the cross, He saved us from our sins. So um, I can say, what? Jesus. I stand under the protection of Jesus, right? It's not like I'm throwing blood on myself, right? Yeah. I'm choosing to accept what Jesus did for me and His victory over 
sin, death, and the forces of evil, uh, I overcome. Anybody else? I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's a personal choice too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What about the word of our testimony? How does, how does the word of our testimony contribute? Do we contribute anything to what Jesus has done for us? What is the word of our testimony, Brittany? Well, it's powerful because when we share how God helped us have victory, it can encourage someone else who's going through something similar that, wow, you depended on Christ, I can depend on Him the same way and have victory. And even before I bless someone else, the word of my testimony, Jason. And even help me, myself, whatever <laughs> I'm going through. I'm, I'm saying again, I stand with Jesus. I belong to Jesus. My prayer is to reflect the character of a loving God and not the, the forces of darkness. And, and, and by the grace of God, that can be reflected, right, to those around us. What a challenge as we begin this series on life, death, resurrection, and eternal life. It, it is a war zone. There, there is a rebellion. There's organized rebellion against God. But there is also a God who loves you with an immeasurable and unfailing love. He wants to be your protector and your savior. He wants to give you hope for the future that no one can take away from you. I just want to challenge you as we begin this series to say, Lord, do that for me today and for those I love and pray for. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the Holy Scriptures given by inspiration of God. And the Scripture says it's profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for correction in righteousness. We thank you for all of the word we've studied today that reminds us, God, that you've got a good plan, even in this time of conflict. We trust you and we thank you that you are our Savior and Deliverer. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Well, thanks for joining us for Hope Sabbath School today. We're just getting started on a brand new series, Life, Death, Resurrection, and Eternal Life. It's God's blessing to you, His gift to you, and a gift you can share with others. So don't keep the good news to yourself. Go out and be a blessing to those around you.